Children are excused. As we return to our study, uh, the foundations of the gospel, going through Genesis, it's fitting that today we've come to this, this character, Isaac. And we come to Isaac on the day that we celebrate communion. Because com- coming to communion, this is our celebration of our inheritance. It's a celebration of the unbroken, permanent relationship with God through the blood of Christ. The new covenant is what we celebrate every time we come to the table. And covenant is such a part of what we, we learn from Isaac. The author of Hebrews helps us to remember this in Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised and eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Something great has occurred in the new covenant. But it points for us backward as well. We need to understand more and more about that first covenant. And Isaac is great in this. Isaac, Isaac's life was, was not like his father's. It, it wasn't so spectacular. And there's many characters in the Bible that we need to remember. And they have spectacular testimonies and lives. Isaac's is a little different. But Isaac is so incredibly important because his life was physical proof of God's faithful fulfillment of the covenant promise that had been made with Abraham. Everywhere Isaac went, every person that understood who Isaac was was confronted with the truth of the covenant, a promise from God. Isaac is also the only one of the patriarchs who was born in and lived his entire life and died in the promised land. Isaac was, a, was the chosen one. He was a child of promise, a supernatural child, born to be the child of promise. As I studied this this week and I thought about Isaac being the child of promise and, and his marriage to Rebecca, and then, and then they produced, you know, Jacob and Esau, think about what that must have been like. Here's the supernatural child of the promise with his two boys. And the little boys are going, Daddy, tell us about Grandpa. Boy, what a a journey that would have been. Tell us about that trip that you and Grandpa took. You know, you know the one. And Isaac begins to tell the, the story of how his dad said, let's go on a hike, Isaac. Just you and me. We're going we're gonna to go up the mountain and, and you're going to have to carry the wood. Okay, dad. And he's trying to explain to, to Jacob and Esau what it, what it was like to go up the mountain with his dad and the altar and and, and then your, your grandpa came real close to killing me. What an incredible story time, you know? 
You know, my dad could tell some pretty wild stories too, and maybe yours could, but that, wow, you know, Grandpa, you know, he had some, he had some issues. <laughs> Isaac was the promised child. He was the covenant child. To understand this better, we're going to go through some places in Genesis, and just because of our time constraints, we're going to bounce around quite a bit. Remember through all of this that Isaac was the promise of the covenant. It couldn't have been God's covenant without Isaac. Only through him, only through Isaac would God fulfill the promise. God then takes the covenant and he also gives it to this promised child. Genesis 26, 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the day of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham was obedient. God established a covenant. Now God establishes the same kind of covenant with Isaac. It's going on. Isaac was God's chosen continuation of that Abrahamic covenant. Only through Isaac would the promise be given, the promise given to Abraham continue. Now, for this to occur, for the continuation to occur, Isaac would have to marry and have a son. That was God's plan. And, and that son would be a continuation of God's planned covenant. Now, in Genesis, there's a lengthy story about how Rebekah became Isaac's wife. It's fascinating. It's, it's a great love story. And all the guys, you know, they just turn off. Love story. I don't want to hear a love story. But it, it's, it's great for us to look at this. We're not going to go through the whole thing because it's just too lengthy. But it's, it's vital for us to understand that God had a plan and he worked his plan. Let's, let's start by going to Genesis 24, 2. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. This is a vital piece of God's plan. It was important, it was vital to Abraham that Isaac's wife not be a Canaanite. There might be lots of different reasons you might be able to come up with, but I believe there's two things that are very obvious that we need to put into place to understand why it was important for Abraham's servant to go back to the hometown of Abraham to find this, this woman. One of those is just custom. Let's do this the way 
of custom. Let's be customary. Let's do this the right way. And the custom at the time was that you married within your own clan. Not necessarily your own family, but your own clan. That was part of it. But I also believe that Abraham understood that if the wife came from the people of Canaan, she would have sway with his son. And it would be very possible that she would lead him away from God. So it's important for Abraham's servant to go back to Haran, probably, and get a wife. So as the story unfolds, Abraham's servant goes to Abraham's hometown, Haran, and, and he prays. He prays for God to show him a young woman. And there's a specific in this prayer. This woman would provide water for himself and the camels. Now, I've, I've only been around camels at a zoo, but I've been told that camels can drink a whole lot of water. And that this would have been a lot of tedious work. But this is the prayer. This is what Abraham's servant wants to see. This woman's going to show up and provide the water. And when she does, he would know that this is God's choice for Isaac's wife. So Rebekah comes to the well, and she diligently provides water for the servant of Abraham and to all the camels. She's the one. That's God's plan. Now Abraham's servant goes through, there's a whole process, and and you can read that story in in, in Genesis, but he returns with Rebekah. And in this story, there's love at, at, at first sight. This is great. Guys, stay with me. Love at first sight. And I shared this in the first service. Love at first sight does occur. Um, When I was in high school, our band was really good. The band and orchestra were award-winning, and we we went to Hawaii on tour. So Emily, my wife, was in the orchestra, and I was in the band. And we spent time there. We did concerts, and we got to see Hawaii. I was a senior in high school at the time. Since the last day, we've, we've made it to the Honolulu airport. And we're sitting in the airport, and I'm just walking around. I, I wasn't even saved at the time, so I was probably up to some kind of mischief. And we're waiting for the time to go to the airplane. And as I'm walking through the Honolulu airport, here is this absolutely beautiful woman with this long, dark hair, and she's sitting on this kind of planter thing in the airport and there's this shaft of sunlight coming and it's just hitting her and it's like whoa that's the one love at first sight eventually I was able to pay off the right people and persuade (laughs) God had to take me through quite a journey because I had to get saved first So love at first sight does occur, and it happens in this story with Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 24, 62. Now Isaac had returned from Berlaharoi. I hate that word. I hate the names in the Old Testament sometimes. So I try hard, okay? And he was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to to meditate in the field towards evening. So he's, he's with God. 
And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. So he sees the caravan coming back. It's his servant, or his dad's servant, and, and Rebekah's with him. But, but Isaac sees this, and, and it's, it's coming. At the same time, Rebekah's with all the caravan, and it says in verse 64, Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, my ESV says she dismounted from the camel. However, if you do good study of the word, you find out that the Hebrew there means something a little bit different than dismount. What it really means is she fell off the camel. (laughs) Yeah, trying to be graceful. So the picture that we have here is Rebecca is, is on the camel. She's coming back. She knows that she's been chosen to marry somebody. She sees Isaac and she falls off the camel. <laughs> love at first sight. What a love story, right? Only God could put this stuff together. Go on. Verse 65. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? She's taken by this guy. Doesn't that, isn't that what that says? She sees Isaac. She falls off the camel and she goes, oh, man, who is that? Abraham's servant says, it is my master. Her reaction, she understands this is going to be her husband. Because her reaction is she took her veil and covered herself. That was part of the customs. So, So she's covered her face, meaning I don't want my husband to see me. She gets it. I think there's another thing going on in this love story. She goes, only God could give me a man like this. I just fell off my camel for this guy. And he's, he's going to be my husband. This is awesome. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So the promise continues. God's plan just keeps working out. Now let's go on. And to do that, we're going to jump to Genesis 25. I'm going to jump ahead because Abraham dies. And, and we're going to go there first and, and then we'll come back. But it's, it's an interesting thing that happens. Genesis 25:8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man, full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the land of Ephron, the son of Zor, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Berla Hiroi. Now, the reason that's important is Ishmael is still around. But it's Isaac that gets God's blessing. Isaac is the child of promise. Now let's go back because we're going to see how this is even greater in what God has done in his plan. Before Abraham dies, he gives all his sons their inheritance. Genesis 25, 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So he starts there. All he had 
was given Isaac. That was a lot. Abraham was massively blessed by God. But verse 6 goes on. It says, But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. This is important because it reinforces the same thing as we saw when he dies. It's all about Isaac. He gave all to Isaac. Now, he still gave some gifts to his other sons. And if we, if we study this through, there are six other sons. None of them received the bulk of Abraham's possessions. They got a gift. They got a gift, and then they were said, goodbye. So here's your gift. Now leave. Six sons. And from those six sons, God established six Gentile nations. If you remember the promise, the covenant with Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. Not just the Israelites, not just that line, but many nations. So here you see six more being formed. None of those six were the sons of promise. None of those. The promise rested on Isaac. Abraham sends the six away and he sends them away so that there'll be no confusion. There's no confusion as to who was going to continue the promise from God. For that promise to continue, Isaac would have to have a son. But here we have another problem and it's very similar to a problem that his father had. Rebecca's barren. This is, this is the most horrible thing that could occur to a woman at that time. If you were barren, you were seen in society as being corrupted and, and you were cursed and it was horrible. Rebecca's barren. How, how is God's promise going to continue? Now, when Sarah showed up barren, Abraham took it into his own strength and he, 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 he had, had sex with Hagar. And, and so he thought, I'll just do, do this my way. I, Isaac doesn't do that. For 20 years, Isaac waits for God's perfect timing and his perfect plan. He doesn't try to help God. He waits. And in his waiting, he prays for his wife, and God answers. Genesis 25, beginning years old, when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padamaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if, this, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now in this, we see that God has a plan. She's barren. She has children. And, and part of this sets us up for the rest of the story, so to speak, as we go on through Genesis, here's the two boys in her womb and they're fighting. They're already in conflict. But we also see that God had a plan. He has a plan. He always will have a plan. His plan is perfect. And in its perfection, there are many things that have to work out at exactly the right time. They have to work out in exactly the right place, and they have to work out with exactly the right people. 
We can't see all things. And so for us, in our, our fleshly way of understanding, it seems that God's plan is messed up. You see that in Isaac's life? Isaac, you're going to have children. And I've brought you this beautiful woman who fell off her camel for you. But you can't have kids. So the place that our fleshly mind goes is, God, I, 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 you keep telling me that, that you have a plan for my life, but it just seems like everything's messed up. God sees everything perfectly. And from his perspective, which is outside of our constraints of time and, and, and physics and everything else, his plan continues to unfold just as he designed. This is difficult for us even today. It's difficult to live a life with Christ waiting and wondering what is going on. It takes a lot of faith for us to understand and remember God will work His plan in His time. Our challenge is to trust Him. Just go, yep, you got this. Trust His faithfulness. Even when nothing seems to be working out the way we think it should. How many times have we gone through something in life and we've said, here's how it needs to work out. This would be the best plan. And God says, no, I don't think so. I got something else going on. I had it all worked out in my head. I was going to go to school. I was going to get a degree in mass communications. And then I was going to get a graduate degree at CBN University. And I was going to go into, into Christian radio and TV. And that was, that was my plan. And I started working that plan. Boom, boom, boom. I put everything into place. I did all of what was required to get into school and get my degree in mass communications. And I thought, man, radio in particular, that was going to be really cool. And through God's providence, at one time, I was on every radio station in the city of Greeley except for the Hispanic, the Spanish-speaking stations in Greeley. I had my own three-hour program on NPR. And you know what God did? You know why he did that? To show me, I hate radio. I absolutely hated it. It is one of the most boring things I've done in my life. You, you tell me, I want you to come in and work on the ra- in the radio. I'm looking at Liz. <laughs> she, she gets some of this better than... I just go, this is nuts. Could I do it? Yeah. Was I successful at doing it? Yeah. But God said, no, that's not what you're going to do. And while he's doing that, he's opening up all kinds of other avenues, like beginning to use me on a regular basis. I was preaching two, three times a month, at a month at that time. He had a plan. He didn't show me all the details. There have been so many times I've talked with people about trying to figure out God's will and what God's plan is. And I'd like to be able to go to the mailbox. And you walk out to your mailbox... And there's, there's shafts of light shooting out from the seams in the mailbox, right? There's something really supernatural special in the mailbox. And, and you open it up and, and here's this absolutely gorgeous envelope. Paper that you've never ever been able to understand. It's just gorgeous. 
this address to you, and the calligraphy is perfect. And you open it up, and, and, and it's just glowing. And the, the calligraphy is in gold, and, and, and it's long, and, it, and it's, it's got step A, subset one, two, three. It goes through absolute detail of what you're to do and how, do you, how you're going to work it all out. So the plan is there. And you go, thanks, God. Now I got it. I can go. It's never happened to me. As a matter of fact, I've never heard it happen to anybody. God doesn't do that. He says, trust me. I have a plan. I will work my plan. And I want you to be a part of that. It's difficult for us sometimes because we also want to apply our own stuff to that. Isaac illustrates what it means to be a child of promise. Everything about him said, I am the child of promise. Now, we need to be able to extend that to ourselves. John writes to us of how we become children of promise. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Children of God are the supernaturally begotten children of promise. If you are a child of God, you are a child of the promise. Children of promise because of their faith of God, faith in God, faith in His promise. And that faith... And that selection is through the sacrifice of Christ. It's through his blood. That's why this works so well on Communion Sunday. Paul helps us with this. He reinforces this in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Who's he talking to you? You, brothers. So brothers and sisters, if you belong to Christ, you're just like Isaac. You are a child of promise. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Nothing has changed. Those who are not children of the promise persecute those who are children of the promise. As children of the promise... We, by faith, are children also of Abraham and Sarah. Not by physical birth, but by spiritual rebirth. Not by law, but by promise, by the covenant. Not by works, but by faith. God has always had a plan. He's he's never caught off guard. He has a plan. He knew Isaac was the child of promise long before he was conceived. You can even see that in the text. He knew that Isaac was the child of promise even before the earth was formed. The same is true of you, the follower of Christ. If you call yourself a disciple, if you are the believer then God knew that before the beginning of time. Scripture tells us that. Now, sometimes that messes with our theology and it makes it hard, you know, that that sovereignty of God, free will of man, all that kind of issue, that stuff. Does God know everything there is to know? And the answer is yes. Did he know you before the beginning of the earth? Yes. 
God has a plan. In this story about Isaac and Rebekah, God's plan included her inability to conceive. His plan included Isaac's prayer and the answer to prayer. It included her pregnancy and the twins and their battle in her womb. It included Esau and Jacob. All of that story about Isaac, all of the story of Abraham, all of the story that's going to come with Esau and Jacob, it's God's plan. It's God's plan as we see, we'll see next week. Both sons would not continue the line of promise. Only Jacob would be chosen to continue the line of the Messiah. Only Jacob. Only Jacob would be the son, the child of promise. We live in a different, under a different covenant. We have a different agreement with God. Remember, go back, to, go back to Galatians again. Chapter 4, verse 28. Now you, brothers... It's one of those places where we could go, now you, people of God, like Isaac, are children of promise. Every believer, like Isaac, is supernaturally conceived miraculously born and the offspring of God's promise to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. If you are a believer, you are a child of promise. This is so important. God wants us to know this deeply, deeply inside us. His desire for you and I today is to get this so deep that we understand that as believers, no matter what happens, we are children of promise. It's not some accident. It's not just some kind of sort of thing. You have been chosen by God. You have been selected. You are a part. You, by your faith, combined with God's plan, you are a chosen promised child, a child of the new covenant in Christ. That's huge. That's huge for how we live. Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, you are a child of the promise. This is huge. This, this should be what drives how we live. You are a child of God. You are a child of the promise. In this story and in this concept of being a child of the promise, we see something else that the Bible repeatedly does, and that's to contrast between the law and grace. There's a contrast between the life of work and the life of, de- of faith. A, a contrast between the way of man and the way of God. In Scripture, we see this contrast in Hagar and and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac. 
We see it in the, in the difference between wrath and mercy, bondage and freedom, the old covenant and the new covenant, fleshly and spiritual life. We see it in the rejection of some and the inheritance of others. We see it in lostness and salvation. The ultimate contrast that Scripture gives to us is between the way of Satan and his world system and the way of God and his majestic kingdom. We know it's also God's plan because he's told us in his word that he will destroy Satan and his world system. God's kingdom is eternal and you are a part of that kingdom. What God wants us also to know as children of the promise is don't vacillate between the two. Trying to spend time between the two kingdoms, it's not, it's not acceptable. God's plan, His will. Here, here's God's will. Everybody wants to know, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's, here's a part of it. His will is for you, His child, the children of promise, to not vacillate, to not spend time in the wrong kingdom. He wants us to trust Him, to trust God, because you are a child of His, a child of promise. Spend time in His kingdom. As a child of promise, you have incredible hope and freedom. You're a child of God, a child of promise. Today, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, you are a child of promise, a child with the awesome, eternal, new covenant. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching and you don't have that relationship, it's so easy to do. You just say, yeah, I am desperately in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus died for me and that He rose from the dead and I put my trust in Him. And when you do that, if that's your heart's cry this morning, then you become a child of promise. And for all of eternity, you live with your Father as a child of promise, one of His special kids. child of the awesome, eternal creator of the universe. Father, help us to live as your children. Jesus, thank you that you made this possible because of the blood that you willingly shed. Thank you for the covenant that you've established by your blood. Holy Spirit, be with us today, but be with us as we leave this place and go out and do our lives Monday through Saturday and on and on that we would live as children of promise. That we would be filled to overflowing with all of what that means. That we have all of eternity as God's children. Help us to live accordingly. Jesus, thank you.
that by your blood, the power of what you did on the cross, the believer, those of us who put our trust in you, have been made children of promise for all of eternity. In your name, amen.